Folks, welcome to an episode of The Art Tenders with Mac and Dan. I am Dan, he is Mac. Howdy! This time, we are doing a movie that I selected as we're, you know, jamming in the back, you know, on video. Anybody on video can see this. Uh, Anybody who's listening, you know, feeder of the mind. But for this week, it was a movie that I selected. And I'm interested in your, you know, preliminary thoughts when it came to consuming this movie. But But more importantly, more importantly, it is a classic film that I selected. One from 1943 starring Humphrey Bogart and Ingrid Bergman. It is a movie called Casablanca. Of all the gin joints in all... Of all the gin joints in all the world, in all the world, oh, she comes into mine. Oh! Look at you, White House. I I honestly also messed up the quote, but you know what? We're gonna keep rolling okay. this time. Uh, this totally isn't the second time that we're recording this. No, no sir. No, 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 but no, no. Mac, I a big reason why I wanted to pick this movie. Not only because I think it's great. Not only because I think it holds up. But pri- primarily because I have a story to tell in regards to my relationship with this movie. Oh. And I think it's just a very, very funny sort of, not funny in terms of haha, but just like a ha. Uh, <laughs> I'll terms- make sure to, to respond accordingly then, Danny. So my senior year of high school. Oh. When after we had taken all of the advanced placement tests. So basically, at that point of the year, between you taking the AP test and you actually graduating, if your classes, if those classes are just AP classes, then there's no point to showing up. Right. So that's exactly what I did one day. So one day, I just skipped school for the most part. For the most part. Nice. In the theater. Right. In the theater on campus at school. And I brought my computer. I brought my computer and I was like, I want to watch a movie today. But and for some reason, I was like, you know what? I think this is finally the time I'm going to watch this movie because uh, now I may be, you know, getting the name of this wrong. But at Hollywood Studios at Disney, formerly called MGM. They have this ride, I think it's called the Great Movie Ride. And it, it played now or before it shut down. It played like certain you know movie quotes and movie snippets and stuff like that throughout the ride but when i was younger they would mostly play clips from casablanca and i was just mostly well i mean but like those were the ones that like stuck out to me aside from gone with the wind and you you knew it was casablanca at the time and i and i always have been fascinated by this movie and i'm like this movie has been around for such a long time it must be fantastic so i watched it that day my senior year and what was funny was that I started watching this movie just on my little rinky-dinky computer by myself. Eventually, over time, and the movie's only an hour and a half long. Over time, people were coming up to me. Hey, what are you watching? Hey, what are you watching? Hey, what are you watching? I'm watching Casablanca. And then they're like, okay. And they have nothing else better to do. So then they sit next to me. And so when I started the movie, it was just me watching it. When I finished the movie... It was like 10 of us in the dressing room huddled around my computer and just biting our nails because we were mystified by the fact of this movie's fantastic and we have no idea why. Yeah. We could not, like, we didn't really understand what was happening to us until we looked around and like, holy shit, we're all just, just deep in this movie all of a sudden. Do you think that was because you weren't expecting it? Or do you think that was because you did not have the vocabulary at the time to articulate 
why the movie was so good. I think it was, I mean, I think it's a little bit of both, right? Uh-huh. I think I had, now I have like a better understanding of like how this movie is constructed and the pacing of it now, as well as the acting. And it's just like, it's most certainly a product of its time. Of course, it being set in World War Two, and an owner of the bar um, that is called like Rick's is, and the titular character is, you know, Rick. And uh, he helps two people try to get out of this sort of neutral town. Uh, but one of those two people is a uh, long-lost lover that he hasn't seen in many, many years. Um, so we were just fascinated because I think that was probably for all of us in that room the oldest movie that we had seen. So it was, I mean, because for any of us, like probably the oldest movie that any of us had seen were probably was probably like in the 70s at most, right? Sure. The 1970s. Sure. But, but then watching this... It was just fascinating, not because we thought the movie was going to be bad, but we didn't know how good it could be, right? Considering that it's damn near now, like a century old, mm-hmm. that we were, we were just mystified of like, oh man, like this movie can be that great. Movies from yeah. this time can be that great in its storytelling and its execution, even though it had a much more difficult time just trying to put things up. And that was the most fascinating part really about it for us. Now, Mac, this is when I ask you, yeah. what were your first thoughts on the movie? Did you hear of the movie before I oh, brought it up last course. time? Of course. you kidding? Of course. Well, this is the thing. Um, Casablanca, the reason that it's so interesting and the reason that it's in the center of the zeitgeist, and it has been the center, the center. Truly, I, I think so. Yeah, and, and and it's been that way for so dang long. Is because um, whenever you look up, okay, yes. tells you a lot about the types of people we are. But okay. uh, being theater people, being people that want to make stories, um, whenever you're growing up, you don't know much about it, so you Google, right? And whenever yeah. you Google, what's the best movie of all time? Because I want to make sure that I'm watching the best stuff possible. If it's not like it, in, in that top ten list, it's it's basically between like Casablanca or Citizen Kane. Yep, and if every time. Not, and if not those two, then like Shawshank Redemption. Maybe or the Godfather's list. in there somewhere. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but like it, it's it's always between Casablanca, Citizen Kane, and Casablanca, Citizen Kane, Citizen Kane. And so I, whenever I was younger, I watched both several times. Wow. But purely so wait, because you've was, already seen Casablanca a bunch of times. I didn't know that. Purely because I was I was interested, right? And so, um, I was always way more of a fan of Casablanca than I was than I was Citizen Kane. Citizen okay. Kane, um, the artistic elements kind of seemed to, seemed to slap you over the head a little bit. Yeah. Like even whenever I was younger, I was like, okay, it's kind of a lot. Um, but Casablanca is very subtle about its artistry. Yeah. And 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 there's a lot of things that it does that are really tiny but so effective um but the main thing is that uh over the summers my mom worked in the summers and my mm-hmm. dad didn't know what to do with us because that's a lot of time to to, to be alone with four kids yeah. and so he would send us to our grandmother's house and we that's all he we did just he would just make it somebody else's problem <laughs> yeah he really would he would just be like okay and bye and so <clears throat> our thing to do with our grandmother was always watch movies whether that be in the movie theater or like she spent most of her money on all of us going to see the movies in the movie theater. Um, but over those summers, we would have movie marathons that uh, I'm not even shitting you, like a week long, mm-hmm. every single day for a week. 
like watching four or five movies a day. Um, and I learned a lot, but uh, got a huge knowledge of, of classic movies. Did I understand all of them at the time? No. Did I fall asleep during 10 to 20% of them? Of course. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, because I was a kid, but I, I did gain a huge knowledge, and uh, that really came with Casablanca. Casablanca was um, a big eye-opener for me because... Even when you were younger. uh, Yeah, but purely because even though I didn't know anything about storytelling or anything um, artistically, any film things they're doing, acting, anything like that, I... uh, She set up a really, really awesome frame for us, which is Mm -hmm. this. And I realized this after after I've shown a lot of people, because I've shown a lot of people this movie. It's true. I mean, it's a great movie. It's a great movie. Like, it's funny to think about, right? right. Like, you know what? You know what we're going to do tonight? Casablanca. Casablanca, right. It's just, it feels pretentious. But I, I have shown people this movie, and the problem is that uh, by itself, if you don't know the context okay. in which the movie takes place, it's purely, it, 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 it's just not impactful. I I'm interested. Okay, let's. I want to I want to pick at that because I do feel like so. The movie even opens with narration about the town of Casablanca, right? And yeah. that the movie does the sort of thing of providing even more a little bit of like narration slash exposition of like mini scenes, vignettes with some other characters talking about like the going ons yep. right around them. Um, going but, ons. But but that's good. And for the Chris. most part, like. It's set during World War Two, and I think a lot of us have a, at least a decent enough understanding of World War Two to yeah. understand conceptually what is happening yeah. on screen. So I'm I'm curious about like, w- were there people then that you knew that like were just not picking up on what was going on? Or yeah, not really. It? The, it, the, the the main thing is because the movie that, does move fast, but I don't think it well, moves too fast. There's a huge huge difference between a movie being about world war two mm-hmm. uh made nowadays uh and a movie made about world war two during world as war II, world war two is happening which is like i mean i would say like insane to think but like that's not you know we still kind of do that while countries yeah. are in war they'll make a film in regards to said war yeah or or like yeah right i mean i guess technically lady Macbeth, whenever we saw this or siberian lady Macbeth. um but mm-hmm. but also like uh that as the tragedy is happening that that's the best time for the art to strike yeah um yeah for sure uh which is why it's always interesting to see you know what what tragedy is around us and what's picking up like whenever uh stuff like get out or this this is america comes out and and the reason it blows up so fast is because you realize, oh, the, the the main thing happening in America right right now, at least, or at that time, was uh, struggles with Black Lives Matter. But with this, it's it's the exact same thing, which is uh, once you realize that this movie is being released as people, especially Americans, Americans are struggling with World War II. Um, and also in 1943, whenever we are still trying to figure out if we are supposed to, as America, go over and help in World War II. Yeah. That's, that really changes the entire movie. Yeah. Because then it starts to become really, really vividly clear. I remember being like 12 and knowing perfect clarity because my grandmother explained it to us that Rick was America. You know? 
that like he 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 was uh the neutral he was the um uh, i i he he was the person that was a romantic and is now like like a cynic I didn't realize how symbolic the film was. <laughs> incredibly, in- incredibly, and it's and it's a pretty good movie by itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, you understand why everyone says it's one of the best movies of all time, top two. Whenever you realize how big of a fucking deal it was to these people, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that, uh, you know, or, or like whenever you look at Victor Laszlo being like kind of you know, the the representation of of. Britain that he's like this this literal gleaming beam of hope in that like every time you see him on screen he has specifically different lighting than every other character like his face and his body he's is bright lit up yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> because he's a literal beam of hope I didn't even hope. think about that but Victor Laszlo I mean this movie is in black and white but Victor Laszlo is a br- it's bright on screen yeah every Th- single time this is and I and I don't say this lightly. Out of wow. all the black and white movies that I've seen, it is the Sizzle Sizzle Surf. Yep, this is okay. Sizzle Surf. Get okay. ready. All right, we we've laid the foundation. This is the only black and white movie that I've ever seen that is truly aware of the fact that it's black and white and he uses that. Oh, uh, okay. That is a sizzle serve. Uh, well, I feel okay. like I'm, I'm gonna say. Okay, hold on. Well, I it, I do feel like of, got... of the time period that you had to make black and white movies. Sure, because there have been black and white movies that have been made since that have used it, obviously. But in that time, there Are was no like the op- 40s and 50s, like primarily. Yes, like 30s, 40s, 50s. I feel like we gotta watch more Kurosawa then, because because oh, uh, you know sure. he directed Seven Samurai, and remember like the movement in yeah. that film. Like it's 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 just. I, I'm literally at a loss of words, which is not good for an audio medium. No, no. But but <laughs> it but how he constructs movement on screen just for that film, and I've seen like clips here and there of some of his other films, and it's just the movement on screen that it 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 kind of like it goes past black and white, and so but uh-huh. I, but I think I, I I understand what you're saying that it's sort of like it's not the black and white in Casablanca is not any sort of detriment at all. No, they use it. Yeah. I, that, that, I think that's the biggest difference is because Seven Samurai overcomes the fact that it's black and white, mm-hmm. whereas Casablanca uses the fact that it's black and I'll, white. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm with uh, you there. That, with that, um, I think that this movie and a lot of the choices that specifically the cinematographer, uh, Arthur Edison, made were uh, – be- sorry, were – involving the fact that it was black and white. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so, uh, yeah, if, if this movie wasn't black and white, then all of the cinematography approaches would have been lost, um, which I think is a huge A++ for the movie. And that really, um, that, that, helped, that helped me out a lot. Um, and and was super impressive, but yeah, the 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 framework of the movie being the the symbolism, Laszlo being this you know, uh, beam of hope, um, whereas Rick is this neutral. Am I supposed to be involved? Um, I would rather be in the neutral. Like he he, I mean, the reason that he is there in Morocco is because he's specifically electing to be neutral. Yeah. He is allowing in for Sam town. Yeah. to come and play piano for him and serve Nazis um, because he does not want to be involved because he is too tired and too cynical to be involved. Yeah. 
because um, he doesn't give a shit about anyone, because, which is kind of where America was. Well, and because like he got so weathered down by everything, yeah, and so, and I I think it's just I really like Rick a lot yeah. as a kid, like not just like just fundamentally as a character, and it's it's a treat to watch him progress, right? I think one of my favorite moments in the film was um his like scene with the bulgarian girl mm-hmm. first of all it was also just a greatly written scene how she never says it explicitly but yeah. how you're able to figure out in the scene oh you're sleeping with the french captain on the chance mm-hmm. of you and your husband getting out of casablanca right yep and so how that scene is just like textually um constructed oh yeah great right but then it's also when he makes that choice to actually help her as opposed to helping anybody else, it's like a huge deal. It sort of ripples out to everyone around him. And so I think that's probably another thing that that the movie does so well is that it feels like the choices that these characters make also really matter and not only matter to like just them, them, them themselves, but also to the people around them. I think it's I think it's a genuinely very nice treat um, yeah. that the movie does. I'm trying to end. You know what? I'm just gonna because we're also on video, and I feel like I have to acknowledge. Oh, this. I'm no, trying to okay. indicate to Mac that like oh, you're, look, I don't even know how long we've been oh, recording. We this got is, some left. All right, terrific. Um, no, we're, we're, we we got time. Candid. Um, the uh, the what do you say? Candid. Candid. Oh, oh we're yeah. just being candid. Absolutely. We're being candid, and candid. you know sometimes we gotta we gotta let them peek. Behind the curtain, yeah, and uh, just it, just see on that. Bit. By the way, I just want to uh, point out th- that um, my my uh, personal gold medal for the past week, what? not Casablanca, oh. um, just like life gold medal, was um, Danny in what preparing happened? for us to transition to the to the uh, uh, film medium. We both needed two microphones to be spread out enough for the actual camera. Yes, and he made. He made a version of Aud- I mean, yes, with the YouTube tutorial, yeah. but he made a version of Audacity on his. The code computer. was written for me. I just had to run some commands. But like, just the idea that it wasn't that you downloaded a new Audacity; it was that you was constructed that a new Audacity. I wish it was that easy. It was crazy. But, yeah. But um, anyway, sorry that that was impressive. No, but on your point that um the 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 way the characters uh, aided each other and and yeah. especially the small characters. Well, because it also painted the setting. Yes, in that regard. Oh, it did. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, okay. Because because it also it t- it takes me to the very beginning of the film. I was like, instead of it was a very specific choice. Instead of the movie doing like the stereotypical thing of like wide shots to establish scenery to establish the scene and the setting. Yeah. Instead, what the movie did was in order to paint the setting, they would actually just have very very tiny little small dialogue scenes with other characters in the space not relevant to the actual fundamental like core plot that's going on but but what that does it actually paints a much more specific picture into the environment that they're actually living in because of the like the specificity of it you know like it's it's when it's like a wide shot of like the bustling of of a shopping center and there's a little bit of that but but when the movie also makes a choice to have those scenes 
then you also know what's at stake for the people. You know what's at stake for the people living there, right? Yeah. You don't have to make up something in your head. You see it. Yeah. It's making those specific choices for those people there as opposed to, okay, you're just like walking to work, right? Like, no, like in, in just these few scenes, we're going to paint super duper vivid pictures Mm -hmm. and so then we actually understand the stakes of the environment and then how the environment is and how it functions to the main characters at hand that's interesting which which makes me fascinated because i watched that and i was like this feels so archaic because i feel like and and i may fall into this trap too of criticizing the film because you're not sticking to the plot or you're not sticking to the central conflict Mm. when you are like focusing on like tiny little characters for like two seconds right Mm -hmm. but at the same time it totally sort of feeds into the central conflict because it just it paints what's going on around the central conflict and and really constructing what's at play you know in the in the spine of the central conflict, which which I find to be fascinating, and then I find furthermore to be fascinating that nobody, or at least I haven't, I personally haven't seen anything outside of this movie that does that. Yeah, at all. That that that's a very good point. That uh, you don't necessarily. Um, you're almost you don't, there. Yeah, sorry. Sorry, I, I, I blame for a sec. You don't need to actually be watching the central conflict to be learning about the central conflict. Yeah. That that's something that's often lost on us because we, uh, we're so obsessed and so focused on conflict. Yeah. We're so obsessed and focused on protagonist and character and, uh, and, and arc yeah. that uh, this is one of the few movies that... Um, makes it really clear that we can trust it enough, yeah. You know, to to uh, stray away from the central conflict and know that we're still getting plenty about it. Yeah, like those small scenes with random people, although uh, not entirely random. That um, that that really do represent really interesting things for the characters and show you a lot about them. Like for instance, those people at the uh, at the very 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 beginning. Uh-huh. I don't remember if if you remember them that there were this, there was this couple at the very beginning that like like a plane took off and they were like we're gonna be on that plane right yeah. remember them and then later on they're the ones that are in trouble at the bar oh fucking forget about that I right didn't, I didn't even they're the ones at the that. bar and they're the ones that Rick is helping they're the hopefuls they're the romantics no way and they're the ones that's the Bulgarian girl and the the husband and he is and and that is I have uh, no idea. Yeah, and like them being the representation of like young romantic hope, and that's the very first hint that you get that that is actually what Rick is at his core. I mean, what's I mean, and what's like what I really enjoy about the film too is that it works beyond the symbolism of it. Like the yeah. symbolism of that is interesting. Aids it, yes. But then it's also the storytelling element of the couple at the very beginning looking at that plane, seeing it take off. And then being able to be the ones to make Rick into the more sentimentalist that Renault, right. you know, accuses him of potentially right, being. Right, right, right. That I mean, that's just. It's odd. <laughs> I hate to do this. I hate to do this, but I love to do this. Uh, it kind of reminds me of The Wire. <laughs> 
They were oh. like, but like some television too, where it's just like some small the characters wire. that they yeah. that they just reappear. There's this one character that's only in like three scenes throughout three seasons, and it's this girl who like starts buying drugs, and then she's a girl in like the last season that um talks at the service that um bubbles yes. uh goes to right yeah. and and but it's like it's a small thing like that like it's really painted the picture of all of these people have their own stories all of these people have their own lives it's a lot more interesting to watch something on screen of people going through shit as opposed mm-hmm. to just a a general broad Rush, right, right. Well, like, why don't why don't we take that magnifying glass? That's true. That there, um, there's something really, really fascinating that someone pointed out to me uh, a while back, and I think it really um, highlights that idea. That idea of uh, lots of small characters and not, but 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 really careful examinations of small characters. Yeah. Um, in that. Most of the characters you see throughout the entire movie, they're like you see them several times, but uh, in terms of arc, in terms of change, in terms of growth for each character, other than uh, Rick and Ilsa, mm-hmm. every other character gets one scene. Yeah, oh, one scene. What in terms of change? Or they have they of... have one they have one major scene in which you find out who they are. What they wanted and how they're changing. Yeah, I think I think like all of like and and once you start thinking about it, you're like, damn, it really every one of them, every one of the main characters, like Sam. Yes, they of all course have, he's there's, playing. There's like a moment where yeah. they have to make a choice. Right, right. That like Sam, you see him playing uh, the piano in the bar, and and then obviously he plays piano for Elsa and Rick whenever they're having their conversation, and everything. But Sam only has one scene, and it's the scene where he confronts uh, uh, Rick. Um, or like, uh, uh, what's in there? Um, uh, Ferrari or, uh, Carl that all these people have one real scene. Yeah. Um, and sometimes, sure. Maybe it's not even like a specific choice, but it's like, it's something that they are like going through when like Carl, for example, who's such a minor character, who's only in like three, four scenes throughout the movie yeah. has this one beautiful scene where I believe like, it's a German couple who has fled from Germany and they were just able to get um, their tickets or visas or whatever it was slash is um, to America. And they're like all congratulating each other. And like Carl sits there and like has a drink with them. And it's like this very funny moment because their English is very broken. Um, the the German couple. And then Carl is just watching that. Um, but it's also like... Carl is seeing a piece of his like country that he aligns himself with is able to get out of there, right? Mm-hmm. And just like structurally as a scene, right? Mm-hmm. It's it it's little moments like that, and and I think yeah, and for a lot of the central characters, there is that beautiful progression, and sometimes you don't even expect it. And this is when I give my gold medal to Claude Rains's. Renault, Louis Renault, the French police captain. Yeah, you know, person in charge. Yeah, um, of the neutral city, and he he actually he first of all hilarious, like genuinely a funny person, and 
he also oh he's giving me the timer <laughs> and he also like changes at the very end of the movie and it's just a treat yeah. it's just a treat to yeah. to watch development not just for you know Rick and Ilsa but also for the people around them that the choices they made ripples out and it's a beautiful sort of portrayal of the butterfly effect I would like to talk more about that, but also the play that this is based off of. Yes, sir. When we come back. All right, howdy and welcome back to the Artenders. Um, so where we left off, we were talking about that was a weird one, right? The intro. Uh, yes, yes, but I mean, let's let's keep on trucking. Um, no, I, yeah, I, I I liked it enough to keep going. But I'm still mystified that there is a, a play. play. There's a play. Yeah. Okay, hold true. on, hold on, hold on. Time out. Was this play written before or after the movie? Before, before, before. So I, I I'm shook. Yeah, no, it, it's it's real. It's true. Um, the uh, there there was a play. It was not well received. Not a lot of people liked it very uh-huh. much. Um, but there was a play that was written. Um, but I think produced only for like a limited time. Like it, it was, it was a very. I guess all productions have are limited time. But it was, it was produced for uh, only a few shows, and it is called what? Well, no, funny? I mean, yeah, Marie, it, it's Marie called, Burnett uh, and Joan Allison. Yep, and Joan Allison. They the wrote uh, "Everybody Comes to Ricks," um, and it's and it, it's Casablanca, uh, but it's not the same. Uh, I, I haven't read it personally, but I just uh, know people that have, and I and I've and I've like listened to plenty of uh, um, people talk about it. Uh-huh. But it's uh, it's superiorly worse. Not no, not really. It's okay. it's not that much worse. It's just that it's not Casablanca because Casablanca. I mean, the reason that the movie is so spectacular and so revered and such a big deal is because uh, it's just a perfect mesh of a bunch of masters of whatever they do all coming together to work on a project and like a little bit like it's like slightly campy but like it's also just it's camping all the right ways it's it's like it's the tinge it's a little dash of melodrama yeah but it still has that like dramatic like gaping hole of a need for those people uh-huh. that it's exhilarating to watch, especially like with the caliber that is on screen. Yeah, for that it's it's corny, but I mean it's kind of like one of the original cliches are cliches because they happen so often. Yeah, and this this wasn't super cliche because it was one of the first to do all the things it did. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's uh. Yeah, but every single person that worked on Casablanca knew exactly what the fuck they were doing, mm-hmm. so especially the creative team. Um, like every writer, because uh, Casablanca the movie has six writers um, that, that were on that team. None of them, uh, the two writers of the play, Joan Allison and uh, uh, Murray B- yeah, Burnett. They're credited for writing the play, but they're not, they're not a part of the creative team for the for movie. For the movie, yeah. right. Yep, yep, yep. And so uh, I think that's, actually uh, more of a testament to it's not a matter of oh these geniuses it is that a bunch of artists got together and all did a really fucking good job you know which is which is super tricky thing yeah. generally because sometimes there are too many cooks 
in a kitchen, sure. you know, but then there are some times where, like, you may have six to eight writers in a room, right. and, like, something is fantastic. Unfortunately, it eludes me, but I feel like we have reviewed something that had a ridiculous amount of writers, and it was an aggressively mediocre thing that we, like, uh-huh. watched. Oh, um, I'll have to think about yeah, it. Yeah, it's un- it's unfortunately eluding me, but, like, it's it's a really tricky thing. But then you still have, like, these writer rooms, right? Yeah. You know, um, that that has, like, multiple people, and it yeah, could be like super-duper dangerous for the what? I said, like, Ralphie. Like who? Ralphie? Yeah, Raphael. Oh, yes, 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 Ralphie, yeah. Um... <laughs> Would you like to give context to that? Rafael Alvarez, our our uh, uh, one of our interviews from last season. Yes. Um, yeah. The sorry. Yeah. Well, you said writers' room, and that was the first one I thought of. You were, you were talking about our old episodes, and I was I just reminisced about Rafael Alvarez. Okay. Um. Yeah. No, I, I I totally agree with you there, and uh, it is tricky. But I think that there's no such thing as too many cooks in the kitchen, if the kitchen is big enough. Well, yeah, but if <laughs> everyone know if the kitchen is big enough, you just dismissed that entirely. No, that was good. I mean, I I was just focused. I didn't it didn't hit me, but that's just a funny. That was a the dumbest response, but that was pretty funny. <laughs> Too many writers, not bad. If if uh, they know exactly what story they're telling, yeah. Everyone was focused. Everyone knew exactly, exactly yeah. what the thing they were making this was going to be. This wasn't some sort of devised piece. It was yeah. very, very specific. I mean, yeah. it was d- d- very devi- Devised piece meaning. Oh, sorry. Thank you. A devised piece is like usually usually it's done as a piece of theater when uh, probably a lot of time there isn't a director in the room and instead it's a bunch of actors, but there isn't a script. And instead they kind of figure out and build the script together from nothing and they yeah. just kind of work together and they just sort of make something from yeah nothing. and and device theater is usually fantastic if the actors know what they're trying to say yeah uh and oftentimes like the only times i've ever seen device theater not work is whenever it was clear that they were on a different page and they didn't know exactly what they were trying to say um but whenever they do it it really works out and so yeah you're right this is the exact same thing that uh, luckily, it's a matter of uh, th- there was an original play. Mm-hmm. Um, the play did not lack in clarity. Yeah. Apparently, yeah. It, it it knew exactly what it was trying to say. And uh, once they gave this to a film director and a cinematographer and film actors, uh, they all were able to add as much as they wanted to it. And, and the six writers were able to add as much as they want to it. Um, all knowing full and well that uh, if it didn't if it didn't aid the specific message they were trying to send, um, then they were going to cut it, and if it did, then they were going to keep it. And that's that. And it and it is immensely theatrical. You know that that does translate to the screen. Mm-hmm. You know, and honestly, I've always had a little bit of a soft spot. Spart, yeah. Uh, For sp- Sparta, sorry, go ahead. Sp- yep. <laughs> Oh, God, I just choked on my own oh, lap. Oh, no. Oh, and into the microphone. I feel like that's a fine. Sorry. Um, but, 100 bucks. Uh, I do have a soft spot for movies that are sort of, like, structured theatrically. Yeah. And so my two just favorite... Just in that it has long scenes, or... My two favorite Tarantino films are Reservoir Dogs and The Hateful Eight. The vast majority of those two films, they just take place in 
one space. Uh-huh. You get some stuff outside of it, but it just it's it really focuses on Aristotle's three unities. I think I think I've alluded to this before, and I said three unities, and I hold, held up two fingers like a <laughs> fucking idiot. I am three unities. <laughs> the three unities, dude. Peace. Um, where it's the unity of time, action, and place. Time, uh, the unity of time, meaning that uh, the course of the play or the movie uh, only takes place in a 24-hour period. Uh, action is that there's like only really one plot. There isn't any subplots. And then place, it all takes place in one place. And, of course, like this movie and other movies sort of break out of that a little bit. But it's very, very tightly knit together. Yeah. And I've always sort of honestly been a pretty big fan of that because it really keeps everything in the moment for not only the actors but the characters as well because it's just they are just directly playing off of what just went on. Mm -hmm. And it does also make the storytelling really, really tight Um, because when you're seeing something and something that happened an hour ago, uh, an hour ago, excuse me, happened to that character maybe like no more than 20 hours ago right um but like i said it aids to this film and it aids to the theatricality of it with you know those little vignettes those little scenes with those super duper minor characters and the fact that like the vast majority of this movie only takes place inside of rick's bar and if not inside the bar then upstairs where he lives and if not there, there's, like, one other bar for, like, one scene. And then, like, the airport for the final scene. Yeah, That's the extent of it right. for the most well, part. Well, I mean, you said something about, uh, or, like, whenever we were talking about how it was a play, mm-hmm. or or whenever I heard it the first time that it was a play, I uh, I instantly knew exactly what the set looked like. Yeah. I, like, the, 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 the movie doesn't really stray too much away from it in that aspect because it you're right it is it is very uh central it's it takes place in rick's bar but then what what also makes it really really special is that even though it like not even though but like it does for the most part only take place mostly in rick's bar and then there is the central plot of what's happening between rick between ilsa and between Victor Laszlo and and sort of the um, Renault and Strasser uh, outside of that, you know, trying to, like, keep them in Casablanca, there is still that sort of space where you have Sam singing and playing on the piano. You have Sasha serving drinks. Carl is going out and delivering uh, those drinks. And then I his name escapes me, but the guy who's also running the gambling tables, right? Like, those things are still sort of going on. And even though they're not, like, central to the plot at hand, they make sure to put those scenes in there. So, like, not only are you getting the space spatially but you're also i know it's a bit redundant but you're also getting the space in terms of like the character the literal character of the space and the kind of people that inhabit the space i think like that's really important not only to the storytelling and but also like just getting attached to like 
what that place is to a lot of people. And the fact that, you know, the bartender is Russian and the guy, the waiter who's delivering those drinks is German and the guy who owns the entire bar is American and while serving drinks to Frenchmen and Moroccans, like there's there's so much eclectic nature that it's it's just a wonderful little melting pot. It's it's mm-hmm. it's just a treat. It's just a treat how they construct that space with its storytelling. I think is is the big thing I want to hit home with. The music was also uh, extremely influential. I mean, obviously it, it's just nostalgic and it's very you know it like the quintessential classic movie music. Yeah. But also, uh, how did you feel about the? Uh, scene where they were compete the band was competing with the soldiers i think like that was a scene to be specific there are like german nazis on one side of the bar and one of them gets on the piano and they start playing their i presume to be their national anthem and then all of a sudden victor laszlo just in a fury goes over to the trumpeteer saying you play the french anthem right now and then they on the other side of the bar, and really mostly everybody in the bar, sing and overpower the Nazis, sing their anthem. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, that was when, of course, that was when the symbolism of the movie hit the hardest, right? Like, it was, yeah. it was most certainly heavy-handed, but it wasn't overdone. It wasn't tacky, yeah. You know, it wasn't tacky at all. It made perfect sense yeah. in terms of the context of what was going on and what was happening you know, for these characters and how real that was to them, you know, how important that was to sing their anthem, have it be their own sort of like their own revolution in that tiny bar in Casablanca, Morocco. Like that was their own time to have that space. And I think it was, it was, like I said, even though it was heavy handed, it was a, it was a beautiful moment. I think it, it also does sort of remind me of something that our junior year acting professor would tell us. Bernard was his name. <laughs> that he would, uh, and it still is his name. He hasn't changed it, by the no. way, if anybody was curious. Archie. Um, <laughs> oh, we may, maybe we said too much now. Oh, man. He said his first name. Oh, Social no. security number, 3824. Oh. No. Like, I know his social security number. That... He would tell us consistently in class, these people's lives in terms of, you know, characters and plays and and anything, these people's lives are bigger than yours. And God damn it, how every single one of those actors plays those characters is exactly as if Bernard was floating head was there giving notes off camera. You know, it's these people's lives are bigger because it's also like it's. Part of it too is still the setting of they make they've made this hotbed of need. They've yeah. made this hotbed of right. high stakes for everyone, and so it's this natural hotbed of like there's a Nazi at the other side of the bar, and we are currently and when I say we, I mean whatever country you know I'm aligned with. We are currently at war with them, and I can't do shit about shit about it you know <laughs> shit because, about shit because it's right. just it's just a neutral town and yeah. so they made this hotbed and so when they make that scene when they make the like 
them singing the anthem, it's it's a genuinely beautiful and sort of tender yeah. moment that's super important for so many of those characters, which then leads into the funniest scene in the entire movie, which was uh, Renault trying to find a reason oh, to shut right. down the bar, him saying, I can't believe you've done gambling. And then you have the guy running roulettes come up to Renault, say, here's your winning, sir. Thank you. And then, <laughs> yeah, and then yeah. they just progress through the yeah. scene, which is like such a beautiful little moment. One tiny moment, which is hilarious and encapsulates Renault perfectly yeah. talking out of both sides of his mouth. Yeah. I'm sorry. I was no. about to cut you off no, no, no. with whatever you were about to no, say. No, I was, uh, well, I, I was at, uh, breakfast with uh, a couple friends recently um, over in Fort Worth and as I was sitting there talking to them they also went to uh, some theater program in, in the Midwest um, I think it was in Missouri and they were talking about how they uh, were just they regretted their education and they regretted their like uh, a lot of musical theater people especially hate their college education because yeah. They, yeah which is super sad and the more I talk to, to these people, um, every time I say the same thing, which is like, uh, well, I'm like, I'm sorry about your experience, but I, I really loved mine. And I think <laughs> I got a lot from it. Um, I'm sorry you had a shitty one. Mine was great. Let's talk about me, guys. No, no, no. And Let's I, talk but, about me. I mean, the reason that is is because, I, I mean, I, I told them it's, it's two things. First of all, I knew exactly what I wanted when I was going to college, and I, and I, I feel like I got that. Um, but the other big thing is that there were a few, not a lot, but a few professors that were really trustworthy. And I just remembered Bernard, um, that he's really one that stands out, you know? That, uh, I mean, we, we they, they were talking about how um, this guy made them watch... Uh, uh, Cats. Five different, no. Uh, five different versions of Hamlet. And I'm like, okay, interesting like we kind of yeah. did a similar thing with with, with, uh, with michael with, uh, our senior year where we watched uh, i think it was only four but like four macbeth. different versions of macbeth correct and yeah. uh and i was like okay that's interesting and then how they ended up using it was like in some sort of like improv where you had to like like use the different people's interpretations of hamlet to like like almost like mimicking them for for like an improv game and i was like i was just kind of confused and they were like it was oh. the dumbest thing and it was super sad oh. but yeah and then I told them about, I was like, well, Bernard was the type of guy that would make you watch a couple different people play Hitler, and we would talk about who judged Hitler the most. Um, because it's Did that, you do that in your class? Yeah. Wow. But, like, that's just, uh, that's just Bernard, you know? Yeah. That's just the type of guy that he was. That that was, because um, that, that's a really, yeah. really interesting acting well, conversation. And, and, hold on. And also kind of like, yes, yes, 100% yes, and Funnily enough, how that ties into this film, yeah, was that whenever I think of like actors on screen playing Hitler, I think of, and I'm sure most people do too, Bruno Gans. Oh. And Bruno Gans was known for, uh, if I'm not, hopefully I'm not wrong, please God, um, but he was Jewish. Um, he passed away, I think, fairly recently. Yes, um, yes, he yeah hated Hitler. Hate? I mean, obviously, well, why uh, wouldn't I mean... he? You know, but um. Uh, but he was that quintessential performer of Hitler, and you know, of, and it's it's beautiful because, um, to me, it's it's that final middle finger to him of the man portraying you is the man that like hates you the most, yes. you know, and and it's the man that you hate the most, 
you know, it's the kind of man. And then how that plays into this film is that <laughs> he was Hitler in Downfall in 2004. Thank you. He died in 2019. Thank you. Uh, the man who plays Strasser in this film, and his name escapes me, uh, was also Jewish, and he Conrad specifically Veit. he specifically carved his own lane of doing villains these these suave villains and he hated them so much he hated them so much because uh like he was from germany as well you know and and a lot of the the nazi actors in this movie are actually excuse me i'm so sorry i hit your computer like a rude imbecile um (laughs) were actually jewish people who fled from germany yeah um which I think is just, I mean, it's, it's beautiful in terms of just, like, that middle finger, but it's also... It, right. It's poetic, also in a way? I don't, I'm not sure thing, how, to, how, to, how to encapsulate it. It's also one thing for uh, Bruno to do it in Downfall in 2004. Yeah. Uh, and then Veidt to do it in 1943 while the war is going while on. While Hitler is still alive. Yeah. That's crazy. That's crazy to think about. And yeah. while there are still lots of Nazis in the world winning a war, yeah. um, that's, I mean. But I think it also goes to show, like for those people in particular, uh-huh. how important doing that movie was to them. Because, I mean, if it didn't beat you over the head, like, and I don't even mean this as an indictment. It's super duper, of course, anti-Nazi. And yeah. so, like. Yeah. I, th- I think like but, but how like, dare they be anti-Nazi? The thing is, the thing is, it's just like how you execute that well is going back to that Bernard conversation. You can't judge, can't judge. when you are in those shoes portraying that character. You cannot judge, You're right? Because then the entire sort of product suffers, and it doesn't have people walk away with the feeling or the emotion or the idea or the theme that you need them to walk away with yeah you know so it was super important to have strasser in this movie to be a super duper uptight asshole and have sort of everyone by the chokehold you know but not but not super duper aggressive or anything just somebody who knew he had the power in the room so he felt like an actual fucking threat Throughout yeah. the entirety of the film, it's someone who was just leering over Rick's shoulder for the entirety of it. There's this very loud noise that's happening. Is that a now. helicopter? I, I think it is. It's a, it's Are a, we being abducted? I, I hope not. What if it's a it's a UFO, you know? <laughs> Sounds like we're in a Predator. What the hell was that? I don't know. That was just the, that was the noise to me. The, the, the helicopter? <laughs> okay, yeah. very good. Thank you so much for... Uh, for sharing that but but i think like i don't know why i keep using the word beautiful but i think it's it's poetic justice i think is is, is what i'm trying to get yeah. at of like when these people like portray these roles and they portray them honestly so that when we're watching it we hate these people because they're doing such a good job that we're hating the characters and not the actual like performance that's that's happening in front of us would would you have had the guts to do this the guts to, i i feel like yeah i mean like if the script is good you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, but like so much you, of the time, you if the been... script isn't good, then like you gotta have the wherewithal of like I don't like this is going to be 
lost in translation. Sure. Like, let's say that there is a version of this movie that the script isn't good, you know? Then, right. then like, part of it, I and I'm, it, it would leave a bad taste in your mouth. Right. Imagine being a Jewish individual choosing to play as a Nazi, and it was all for nothing. Mm-hmm. You know where, like, at least, you know, you have this sort of message that you're you know trying to put out there and that message is sent and that message is received yeah you know but if, well, if that message is never really sent out there and is never at all received then it's like what was that experience because part of that experience is to part of that is to what you're getting in return yeah you know um right. it's 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 a super tricky thing and it's something that like a lot of artists have to negotiate and navigate when it comes to like roles they don't believe in at all. Yeah. But if it's in service of the storytelling and if the story is good and if it's directed well and everybody around you is acting well as well and everybody is on that same boat in terms of what you're trying to do on that stage or on that screen, then you can be in good hands yeah. regardless of whatever crazy shit or inhumane anything you have to do. Yeah. I, that's, I, that's my biggest takeaway. Just, just a small aside. I said the phrase because you said in, in service of the story. Um, I said the phrase in service of the text once because that's uh, standing say that all the time, and I I said it once, and Emma, my girlfriend, everyone on the podcast knows who Emma is. Uh, Emma, my girlfriend, um, <laughs> she has never let me live that down, which you. Uh, us, we wouldn't think that that would be something to live down. But uh, yeah, she's like, I, I, that's the single most pretentious thing I've ever heard in my entire life. Which I understand where she's coming from, but that makes a lot of sense in service of the text. But sorry, in service of the story, not as pretentious. <laughs> true, true. Yeah. I'll, I'll use that one next because, time. Well, because I mean, just just looking at the linguistic nature of it, which is so boring to discuss, but I will leave it be shortly after this. That oh, yeah. if you say in service of the text, then you're just strictly looking at you know Words. the text on the page, right? Yeah. But as opposed to in service of the story, then it's like this big cohesive project that right. you're trying to put up, right. or at least that's how I view it. Um, this might be uh, a tinge of Jewish angst, um, but I think that uh, another thing that really helped Casablanca is that it wasn't a specifically Jewish story, but it was a uh, an, an anti-Nazi story. Although I, I don't think that's what the story was about. The story was not about sticking it to the Nazis. The story was about, you know, uh, love and... Um, Lost love and unfortunate love, um, that and but like from that doing the right thing, right, you right. know, and like and not losing our humanity, yeah, you know, like yeah. like not losing sight of what's actually important instead well, I mean, of being the, just cynical. Uh, Ilsa and and uh, Rick are one of the most famous examples of a couple in cinematic history, yeah. And it's funny because they're one of the only ones that don't end up together. Yeah. But like, it's you see like flashback scenes, but I think it, but it's but what makes that relationship relationship so interesting is the growth of it post breakup, post yeah. Ilsa leaving him so many years yeah. prior. But the uh, uh, um there are just so many stories that are uh that 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 touch on 
like the Jewish experience or especially the Jewish experience uh, post-war time or mid-war time that are kind of swept under the rug or that aren't really talked about all that much. Like Schindler's List is a huge example. Fantastic. But at the same time, like the fact that most of Stan Lee's comics are like symbolic Jewish experiences, like Peter Parker is supposed to, is supposed to comment on Judaism. Uh, uh, Superman is supposed to be the like the symbolic like uh, Jew having to immigrate to America in the same way that he's like Superman's coming from another planet, and then all these people end up just being like regular white guys. Um, I I don't mean for for to to sound angsty, but I'm really glad that this story uh, has such a place in history mm-hmm. and is anti-Nazi in the most important time to be to be anti-Nazi but like but to publicly proclaim it yeah that that takes a lot of guts I mean and it's like well what do you mean it doesn't take a lot of guts to be like anti-Nazi no 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 no. like it takes more guts to like willingly go to war right yeah like go to the go to war for the right thing sure but it's like go to war nonetheless like we're like if you're just strictly talking like fundamentally human lives that you're just putting out there like that's that's not something to just like scoff at yeah you know that takes a lot of money and resources funnily enough got us out of the great depression but like lives primarily and families and people in this country being ruined because of it like that that's what going to war does but it's like making like that that sort of like statement of like no but like even then even with that this is the right thing to do yeah. because this is bigger than us yeah and like I, I i'm not trying to compare these two things because they are very separate but uh like for instance it did take a lot of guts for seth rogan and J- james franco to make the interview about kim jong-un knowing that kim jong-un was going to watch it and that kim jong-un was uh, offended and ready to send missiles to America. I don't think they're the same thing, but they that that does take guts to look at a bad guy in real life and say fuck you via art. That's yeah. pretty that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um but we have to we're start wrapping this one up. So, um with my pick next week, uh we're going to watch a children's classic. Um yep. Okay. Uh together we're going to watch Matilda, the movie. We'll always have Paris. Oh, you like oh. the voice crack? Oh, we'll always have Paris. <laughs> Thank you. 